people that listen to us. <laughs> I do anyway. Proclaim it on the Lord's Day and to deal with God's people. <clears throat> All right, we are at number six. The day of compassion. And let's read the second account here in Matthew chapter 12. through 14. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In order that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man shall there be among you? Who shall have one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. In our house, we have... a piece of furniture. In the south it's called a pie safe. And it was uh, designed uh, the bottom part you could store flour and stuff in, but the top uh, had doors with uh, a very uh, tightly meshed screen. And when you would bake pies or cakes or whatever, you'd put them in there to cool off and the screen kept the flies off and the children out. And <laughs> so the name pie safe. We have a, a pie safe that's a We've had it about 25 years old, and it's kind of a uh, natural, mellow uh, wood color with some little flecks yet of paint in it. But when we got the pie safe 25 years ago, we got it out of an old field house, and it had uh, about three layers of enamel. I don't remember the exact order, uh, white, green, and pink. Um, so you got through one, and there was the next ugly layer, and then the next, and finally we got all of that, most of that removed, and then we rubbed it down and rubbed it down to try to restore it to something of the natural uh, wood tone. Well, that's another analogy of what Jesus is, is doing uh, here in his teaching in the gospel or the gospels with respect to the Sabbath. Uh, the Pharisees had added all this crud uh, to the Sabbath, layers of paint and dirt, and thus the, the beauty of the day had long been glossed over. And Jesus came in to strip away all of that crud. You might have a family heirloom and, and you had to restore it and strip away varnish or paint to bring it back to uh, something of its beauty and glory. Well, that's what Christ is doing. Uh, and so we can change analogy from tearing down the fence to cleaning up um, the day for the use and well-being of his people. Now, in the first section in Matthew 12, 1 through 8, and, and although these two events are put together, they did take place on separate days, but all three of the gospel accounts place them as a pair because I believe it's as they're placed together that we really get 
the whole teaching of Christ with respect to the Sabbath as our catechism interprets it that uh, we are to avoid all uh, work except those deeds of necessity and mercy. Now, in the previous section, verses 1 through 8, we saw that we do those deeds of necessity and the question is that does this thing promote the purposes of the Sabbath? If it does, then it's not Sabbath breaking to do it. It is, in fact, uh, a part of Sabbath keeping. Uh, the next uh, issue that's before us uh, from the Savior is that this is a day for compassion and thus those deeds of compassion. Now we have here a very classic confrontation between Jesus and uh, the Jews. And it appears as you read all three of the Gospel accounts uh, here in Matthew 12 and you have in Mark 3 and in Luke 6 that the, the Pharisees basically have with some forethought set a trap for the Savior. Uh, they've got this man with the withered hand and he's going to be at the synagogue where Jesus is going to be on the Lord's Day. And so that when Jesus comes in, uh, we know that the, the Pharisees first ask him uh, the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in order, in order they might accuse him? Now, you think about it, it's a very interesting thing they're doing because they've made three assumptions about Jesus. And when you recognize this, you'll, you'll see the hardness of their heart, what the corrupt mind does. Because for this trap to work, three things had to be true about Jesus. First is, he had to be faithful in his own synagogue attendance. You see, they knew where they'd find him on the Sabbath. And they knew that he was in town, he'd be in this synagogue on the Sabbath, and so they could lay their trap. As you go fishing, it always helps if you know where the fish are if you're in a big lake. Well, they knew where he was going to be. Second, they knew his character. They knew that he was a man of compassion. And that when he was faced with need, that he did something. Which brings us to the third assumption, which is the most frightening on, on the part of the blindness of the Jews, and that is they never questioned, could he heal? Have you ever thought about that? It wasn't, can you heal this man? No, as we know you can heal, are you going to heal him today? Which shows you how blind they were, how their hearts were full of, of hatred for the light of God because they knew that he could heal, but was he going to heal on the Sabbath? And so they carefully laid their trap. But what is just as interesting is, is that Jesus rises to the bait. And, and this also is interesting because Jesus assiduously avoided public confrontation. In fact, right after this account, um, Matthew tells us of the Savior, in verse 15, aware that they were angry with him and to murder him, he withdrew from there and he warned the people he healed not to make him known in order that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he, reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory 
and his name the Gentiles will hope. And here Matthew reminds us of the gentleness of the Savior. He sought to avoid uh, these uh, public scenes in order at this point not to attract undue attention uh, to himself. And yet here, as he sees this trap, he rises to the occasion. He's, he's like that almost angry bass that lunges at the lure. There's no reticence at all. When you, when you read the three accounts, uh, I think it's Mark that tells us that Jesus actually uh, summons the man and brings him to center stage. Yeah, in Mark 3.3, 3, uh, Jesus said to the man with the good hand, Rise and come forward. See, he's not going to avoid this. He's not going to wait and see this man in private, um, go about his worship uh, on this Sabbath in the synagogue. No, recognizing what they've done, Jesus now provokes the confrontation rather than avoids the confrontation. You see that? And it's interesting that he did that constantly with respect to the Sabbath. As I mentioned, in addition to to these two uh, accounts recorded in Matthew 12, Mark 2 and 3 and, and Luke 6, there are four other occasions where Jesus has confrontation with respect to uh, the Sabbath. Uh, two in John, John 5, the person, the, the man of the Bethesda, and uh, John 9, the man born blind. And then in Luke 13, the woman who had had an issue of blood for 13 years, and in Luke 14. And what's interesting is, is that Jesus didn't have to heal publicly on the Sabbath. You know, <laughs> in each of these cases, is healing on the Sabbath led to serious confrontation with the Jews and yet he did not avoid it at all. In fact, in the interchange in Luke 13, we again see uh, something of the Savior's um, approach to this whole issue. Um, He says to the woman in verse 12, Woman, you're freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude, there are six days in which work should be done. Therefore, come during them and get healed. Again, you see, no awe that Jesus heals. Just, you know, don't get healed on, Sunday, on, on Sabbath, on Saturday. Get healed the other six days. Um, get healed on them, but not, not during the Sabbath. But the Lord said, you hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? Now there's the heart of the issue. Our Savior heals on the Sabbath, provokes confrontation, because he is uh, teaching that the Sabbath is the day of compassion. It is the day of healing. Of course, uh, especially the day of spiritual healing for his elect. Well, as Jesus rises to the occasion and he calls man to front and center, he now throws out the challenge. They've asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? 
he answers them by challenging them with three questions. Now, Matthew gives us questions two and three, and actually Matthew's summary statement uh, we learned from uh, Mark and Luke was also used as the first question by Jesus. Now, in, if I were preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, I would not go over to bring in Mark, but because we're looking at Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath, I think it's appropriate to see exactly what Jesus is doing here. And the first question Mark gives us in Mark 3, 4, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? They've asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He takes them back now to first principles with the question, is it lawful to do harm or good to destroy life or to save life on the Sabbath? Now, they can't answer that question, not because they do not know the answer, but they refuse to answer the question because the answer was obvious to anyone who understood the law of God. Because the Pharisees understood that principle which is uh, fleshed out in our catechism where with each commandment, what is the commandment um, command and what is the commandment forbid. And in larger catechism, number 99 is a series of uh, principles of how to interpret the law, which if you're not familiar with that, I would encourage you to uh, look at those principles. They're very important. But one of the important biblical principles of interpreting the law of God is that the opposite of what is commanded is forbidden and the opposite of what is forbidden is commanded. So although most of the Ten Commandments, uh, eight of them are in the negative, we know that the positive duties are being uh, commanded. So not, not to commit adultery also is requiring monogamous marriage. Or not to have other gods is interpreted in Deuteronomy 6 as you're to have the Lord Jehovah, your God, as God to serve and worship and fear. And so you see the principle, the opposite of every prohibition is commanded, the opposite of every command is prohibited. And that's why Jesus phrases the question in this way, in order to push them back as he asks them, uh, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Well, of course they would know that it's well, it's never lawful to do harm. And it's never lawful to kill in the sense of, of murder. So whether it's the Sabbath or Wednesday, the answer, of course, is that, well, you must never do harm and you must never kill. Now, where he's pushed him with this, then, is that what he's saying is if it's in my power and office to do good, and I don't do the good that's involved in my office and in within my power to do good and to save life, then in effect, I have done harm and destroyed life. Now that's the force of the argument that he's bringing to bear here. That if it's in my calling to heal, and it's on the Sabbath that I am faced with this person that is uh, needing to be healed, and it's in my power and my office to heal, and I don't do it, then I have done the opposite of healing. I've done harm. If I don't improve life, I have hindered life. 
And that's the thrust of this first question. That's the foundation to this principle that the Sabbath is a day to do good to our neighbor, a day to promote the well-being of our neighbor. Now, Jesus, in the second question, goes for their pocketbooks. He uh, asked them, with respect to this day, What man shall it be among you, verse 11, who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Well, now, interestingly enough, in all of their Sabbath laws, they were allowed to take their sheep or their oxen out of the ditch. That's also dealt with in the Talmud. So they couldn't heal, but they could take the sheep or oxen out of the ditch. And of course they could feed the sheep or the oxen. And so, again, he goes after them with this question, now is there anyone here today that if you went home this afternoon and your sheep had fallen into a ditch and couldn't get out, if you left them there overnight, you might die from exposure or from a wild beast. You're going to leave them there uh, or an, until, until the Sabbath is over. Well, every one of them, of course, would have had to answer, well, we'll, we'll take our sheep or our oxen uh, out of that dangerous situation. We will preserve his life. And so he, he then comes to his climactic question, his third question in the challenge, and that's in verse 12 of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Now again, it's only their spiritual blindness, they didn't see this. You can see the progression. I have it in my power to do good. Not to do so is to do harm. I have in my power, says he, to do good to a person. Now, you will do good to a sheep or an oxen is not a person of more value than a sheep or an oxen. It's that we just read it there in, in, um, in Mark chapter, I mean, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 13. But the the climax there is even more forceful in verse 16. This woman, a daughter of Abraham, in other words, a member of the covenant people, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And so uh, Jesus then concludes. Um, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The question that uh, he began with, he now comes to uh, his conclusion. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he told the man to stretch out his hand and it was healed. Now, you, you see the response here of the Jews and once again we see that their heart was not for uh, the Sabbath. In the first place, they were furious with Jesus because he hadn't broken their law. If you think about it, he didn't do a thing except exercise his will. <laughs> you know, he didn't, he, at the times he anointed people or he touched them. He just stood there and said, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. And so he didn't even break their rules, but the person obviously was healed. He'd exposed them in their hypocrisy and they were foolish. And now we see by their action, they who are accusing him of Sabbath breaking determined to do harm and to take a life. And they take counsel together how to murder him. 
What an irony. These custodians of the law of God care nothing at all about the law of God. They care about their own pocketbook, their own power, and their own traditions. And that's what the Savior is dealing with. He never in any way goes about weakening the law of God. Well, this brings us then to the second principle. In the first section, uh, we saw the principle was that we're to do on the Sabbath that which promotes the purposes of the Sabbath. Here, Jesus teaches us that we're to do on the Sabbath that which promotes the well-being of our neighbor. This is what our confession calls those deeds of mercy. And I speak of it as the deeds of mercy and the preservation of life. And we'll break this out in a number of categories. In the first place, we see then that we, those professions and deeds necessary for the protection of life and the promotion of the well-being of our neighbor uh, are to be carried on on the Lord's Day. Um, firemen have to do their work on the Lord's Day. If, a, if your house is on fire, um, uh, you're not going to worry about their breaking the Sabbath to come and try to save your house. Uh, there's a, a duty, a work of mercy. Uh, it's for the well-being, the preservation of the life and the well-being of, of mankind. The same, of course, is true of <coughs> doctors and nurses, that they're not to do um, unnecessary medical procedures on the Sabbath. But if there are necessary medical procedures to be done on the Sabbath and they don't do them, they're harming. They're not doing good, they're doing evil. They're not saving life, they're destroying life. And, and so we see that there's this whole area of, of professions that are necessary seven days a week. Now, we can approach these things with uh, creativity and care, and, and that's why in all of these kind of professions there should be a, a rotation of work and uh, a rotation of being on call and things like that. And yet we recognize from Christ's teaching here that the Sabbath is never to be interpreted in a way that makes life difficult or miserable for people. It's a day of gladness, and thus it is a day of compassion. We can see the same thing uh, in service industries. Uh, a few years ago, I was preached on this at the uh, Christian Reformed Church in Escondido, and afterwards a young man came to me, and, and he was a plumber. And he said, and he's wrestled with this, and, and uh, what kind of calls does he respond to uh, on Lord's Day? Well, if it's the kind of thing that there's going to be no danger to property or life to wait until Monday to go tend to it, that's one thing. But if this person has water flowing through their house, then this principle that Christ enunciates here demands that a Christian uh, uh, repairman, service person, would go in there uh, out of compassion to preserve life and well-being. And so again, you see the principle as, as we work it out in, in our existence. And of course, uh, we see that the uh, Scripture applies this not only to people, but uh, 
Christ himself shows that it's not wrong that we take care of our animals uh, on the Lord's Day. They have to be fed. Uh, A dairyman has to milk. He's doing damage and causing pain to his dairy cattle uh, if if he doesn't milk. A veterinarian at times will have to do things because we're not talking about something that can wait, but again, a matter of uh, some type of emergency. And so we see again that um, these are things that need to be done for the preservation of life and well-being. Now there's a caveat, a warning here. When I pastored in Mississippi, some of the uh, uh, farmers in other churches who were professing Christians, I'd see them out uh, sometimes on Sunday in their field, and they'd say, well, preacher, the ox was in the ditch, and I had to uh, work and work my men yesterday. And they're going back to what Christ says here, that, of course, if the ox is in the ditch, uh, you lift it out. But you see, that's a wrong application of the principle. Uh, The ox is not in the ditch because you didn't want to get your crop in. The ox in the ditch is a matter of the well-being and the preservation of life. Not the fact that you want to finish this harvest or even if it's going to rain next week. You know, the law is quite particular at this point. In Exodus 34, it does say that you're not to work on the Sabbath even in uh, planting time and harvest time. And so just because there's work that you're behind on or you need to get caught up, for you to say the ox in the ditch is an abuse of the biblical principle. The ox is in the ditch when life is in pain or in danger. One other uh, general application at this point has to do with warfare. Uh, We know in Scripture that um, the children of Israel did military activity on the Sabbath. How many days a week did they walk around the walls of Jericho at God's command? Seven. And there God is establishing uh, a principle. Um, the Jennings and the Garrisons share my love for Stonewall Jackson, the great um, Southern Christian general. And uh, one of the reasons I love Jackson is that he was he loved the Sabbath. He was so strict about the Sabbath that um, he would not read a letter that was brought to him in camp. If it was brought to him on the Lord's Day, even if it was from his wife he would wait and read that letter on Monday. Now, I'm not saying I agree with him there, but that's just how much he loved the Sabbath and how he was so personally careful about the Sabbath. So, you can imagine that his wife was quite surprised when she read a newspaper account that he had actually attacked the Northern Army on on Sunday. And so she wrote him about that, and this is his answer. You appear much concerned at my attacking on Sunday. I was greatly concerned too but I felt it my duty to do it in consideration of the ruinous effect that might result from postponing the battle until the morning. So far as I can see, my course was a wise one, the best that I could do under the circumstances, though very distasteful to my feelings. And I hope and pray to our Heavenly Father that I may never again be circumstanced as on that day. I believed that so far as our troops were concerned, Necessity and mercy both called for the battle. Had I fought the battle on Monday instead of Sunday, I fear our cause would have suffered. Whereas as things turned out, I consider our cause gained much from the engagement. And 
there we simply see a very wise application of what we find uh, in Scripture. A man that loved the Sabbath but recognized that he would have lost many more men if he had waited one day to fight that battle. And that as a Christian generally had a responsibility to win with the least loss to his own soldiers. So in those areas, uh, professions and uh, vocations and deeds that need to be done for the promotion of the well-being and preservation of life, they're fit to be done on the Sabbath. A second area would be those things that promote the spiritual well-being of our neighbor. Now, this question itself should settle for most of us the issue of non-necessary eating out on Sunday. If you really care about the spiritual well-being of the people that wait on you, you'll leave a track at the table. No. You, uh, you don't want to contribute, even though, yes, most of them will be there whether you're there or not. You don't want to contribute unnecessarily to their being deprived the opportunity of being under the means of grace, uh, nor to set before them this example that simply treats this day as common like any other day. And so you avoid doing those things that do not promote the spiritual well-being of your neighbor. Uh, we spoke in the last hour about churches that uh, there are certain things that have to be done uh, for the necessity of corporate worship, physical things as well as deeds of piety. And because of that, some churches will hire a nursery worker on Sunday. Now that's, again, maybe at this point I'm hit, hitting on some toes. I don't know, so I'm safe. I'm purely ignorant about this. I have nobody in mind. I don't know what the practice of any of your churches is. Um, but I am convinced from Scripture that it is a gross travesty for a church to hire a nursery worker on the Lord's Day. Because that person then is not in church. Now, do you want a non-Christian keeping your children? That's not good for your children. Do you want a Christian keeping your children? Then you're keeping them out of church. And in neither case are you promoting the spiritual well-being of other people. And so I think that although it's a sacrifice for us, and as adults uh, we have to rotate and take part uh, in that ministry of the church, but I believe that's the way it should be done. If we're going to have any kind of nursery, it should be run uh, by the people in the church on a rotating basis so that we're not hindering uh, some person from the community or another church from being uh, in the worship service. And so uh, those deeds that promote the spiritual well-being of our neighbor. So the physical well-being and preservation of life, the spiritual well-being. And a third application of the principle is those deeds for the preservation of society at large and its well-being. Those deeds done for the preservation for society at large and its well-being. And here we get into the uh, uh, interesting but difficult area of trying to apply the law to a technological society. There are those that will actually say because the Sabbath was given in an agrarian society, it is not applicable in the 20th century. Now let that sink in for a minute because it is an astonishing statement about the insufficiency of Scripture. Because it was given in an agrarian society 
it is not applicable in modern society. It's telling us that the Bible then cannot speak to us about our Sabbaths in this technological age in which we live, and thus the Bible is not our only rule of faith and practice. Now, admittedly, it's not always easy to apply biblical principles, and we spoke in the last hour of these gray areas, uh, areas where we might even have disagreement among ourselves, and in Christian charity we, we think and labor and pray and, and work together, but that does not excuse any of us from the God-given responsibility of looking for the biblical principles and applying them to our society. And I believe it's at this point, under the day of compassion, deeds of mercy, or that which promotes the well-being and life of our neighbor, that we have an application that we can take out of Scripture in the Old Testament as well as the teaching of Christ and look at industry. We understand that there are certain industries that cannot shut down on Sunday by the nature of the furnace needing to continue to consume whatever the furnace is consuming or smelting, that if it were shut down on Saturday evening, it's not just Sunday that you would not have productivity, but you would also lose uh, productivity in the next week. Now, as I seek to apply the law to modern society, the principle of six and one is very important. And the law is not to be understood in a way that deprives people of their livelihood or of their God-given responsibility to be, be productive the other six days. And so does the, does the Word of God help us with this situation? And I believe it does. And the analogy that I use uh, is uh, of, of sailing. Not recreational sailing, but commercial sailing. We know that Solomon and Jehoshaphat had large fleets of commercial vessels. And in no place does that seem to be contrary uh, to uh, the will of God that Israel would uh, exercise trade and uh, increase uh, her own productivity in that manner. But obviously, to exercise a commercial fleet in trade it involves a certain level of uh, activity that would not be normal on the Sabbath. Uh, if you are at sea, you best not shut down for the day. There'll need to be, uh, in those days, sails trimmed, um, uh, courses steered, uh, meals prepared. There's a good bit of maintenance activity that is necessary for the well-being and preservation of the life of the crew. Now, I believe that is the principle that we apply uh, in any number of areas in our own society, but apply it here to these industries. And, you know, there are some. I reckon that some of these industries, it's merely a matter of greed. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about those industries where legitimately they seem to need to run uh, seven days a week. Well, here we see that in such industry... Uh, that the Bible teaches us the principle that there is necessity of maintenance and we apply that to the well-being and productivity of the particular industry in which we're involved. By the way, another modern application of that, um, uh, friends of mine, actually the people that own the publishing company, Christian Focus, for a while invested in a, a fishing fleet down uh, 
in the Falcon Islands and they gave uh, directions to the captain how to conduct themselves uh, when they were out at sea for uh, over a week that they were to uh, cease the fishing operations before midnight on Saturday so if possible they could have all the fish uh, that they caught stored the nets up if that carried over they were to quickly get things stored and cleaned up and then on the Lord's Day although they would have to do the normal things to maintain safe life on the ship they were not to uh, be pursuing fishing on the Lord's Day and so they thought about this and applied it now we maybe won't always agree on the application but the, the, the principle that we must act on is that the word of God is sufficient for every situation and just as we apply the law in other areas, you know, we don't have flat-roofed houses to build a, a, a fence around, but we might have swimming pools that we need to build a fence around. We, we seek to apply the principles of the law to our modern society. We do so here, and I believe it's this principle, that on the Sabbath it's not wrong to do those things that promote the well-being and the preservation of life of our neighbor and of the society and the culture at large. Now, we see then we have a second question that we can use. The first question that we can use is, does it promote the purposes of the Sabbath? The second question is, does it promote the well-being of my neighbor on the Sabbath? Now, this one is as ironclad as the other one. And together, they become a very... Uh, wonderful application of what the standards mean when they talk about uh, deeds of necessity and mercy. Now, as we apply these things, there's two cautions to keep in mind. And the first is, we need to understand that, the, that God never intends for us to break one law in order to keep another one. I do not subscribe to that ethic. That, that we're ever in a position that we have to determine that this moral commandment is more important than another moral commandment and thus we have to break one of God's moral laws in order to keep another one. Now, I know when I was uh, my first year in seminary and starting to wrestle with some of the truths involved in the Sabbath, I was witnessing to some young men and they wanted to go uh, shoot pool on some night after church. And I... Uh, rationalized and thought, well, now I want to see them come to Christ. And so, yes, I shouldn't be doing this, but I have been to church, and so now I'll go with them and shoot pool on Sunday evening for an opportunity to be a witness to them. But I, I, I personally think that that's not an application of these principles because God does never want us to break one moral law in order to keep another moral law. The second caution that we have to keep in mind these principles. We must be sure. You know, the heart is deceitful and we all tend to rationalize. So we must keep coming back to the purposes of the Sabbath and the well-being of our neighbor and have clear consciences with regard to that as we ask these two questions. But with those cautions, we then, I believe, have two very helpful questions as we wrestle particularly in these gray areas in our behavior. And really, whatever your view is of the Sabbath, if you'll simply use these two questions, you're going to find you're doing good to your neighbor and to your own soul. Does it promote the purpose of the Sabbath? 
Does it promote the well-being of my neighbor? That's what our Lord is teaching us. Not to do away with the Sabbath, which is the holy day of the Lord and is the Lord's day, but rather to see it restored to its great purposes of the cessation of our work that we might contemplate on God and his work, anticipate the rest to come. And thus we do those things that promote those ends and we do those things out of compassion that promote the well-being of our neighbor. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, how we thank you for our Savior's wise, insightful instruction. Even as he uh, would rise to the bait and enter into confrontation on this issue that he might give to us in his scriptures uh, this beautiful defense and presentation of how we are to live on your day as we relate to those who are around us. May we have this heart to do those things that are pleasing to you, to do those things that promote your Sabbath, to do those things that promote the well-being of our neighbor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.